You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of all people, that you want all people to come and know you and to experience you, to be right relationship with you and with others. And Lord, we thank you that there are so many vibrant, growing, Jesus-following, disciple-making, Bible-believing churches here in our community. Cornerstone is one of those churches. Thank you for the legacy of faithfulness and impact that they've had right here in our community. We're grateful that the leadership transition continues to go well there and smoothly there, but we pray for your blessing, your protection over them, and that you would continue to use them in a mighty way. And Lord, thank you for Gresham Bible. Thank you for their love for you, and what a great prayer to be about being disciples, being followers, and making disciples, making Jesus followers. Lord, that's, that's what we want to be about too, so we certainly can appreciate that request. So we pray for them, that you will help them to do just that, that they will be a bright light in our neighborhood, that people will know the hope of who you are through how they live their lives and how they love and worship you. And And they're going to be worshiping you this morning just like we are. So we pray that you make their services rich and vibrant and that your presence is so tangible and so real. And Lord, we pray that for us. Lord, we want to know you better. We want to be more like you. We want to trust you more. We want to obey you more fully. And Lord, we want to believe you for the promises that you give us, for the things that that you want to do in our lives. So Lord, we ask for that demonstration of your Spirit's power this morning, that as we open your word now, that you speak to our hearts and lives so that we can know you better. And I thank you for each person here and for each person watching and listening online. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. amen, amen. So Servies County is just one of those many examples of When you do give to the mission and vision here at Grace, this is where some of those resources go, is we're able to pool those resources, in this case with other churches, looks like 16 other churches this year, and do a lot of work here in the community in Jesus' name. So thank you for your faithfulness in giving to the mission and vision. It it really does make a difference. So that being said, um, tell you a story that happened here a couple weeks ago. So... um, Let's go back a little further, actually. So for some months, I have been pondering and thinking about, you know, in this new season of life that Jamie and I are in, we're empty nesters now, and, uh, and that's been fantastic. I, I, I love that. I love my kids, but love the empty nest as well, right? And, uh, and in thinking about that, just thinking about, you know, I've, I've been thinking about for some time just sinking my teeth into, into something, something that could be a hobby, something that could just be an opportunity to spend quality time with other people as well. And so my neighbor for a number of years has had this, this, this fishing boat. And most of the time he, he doesn't use it. And my, my neighbor, I think, is 82. He acts like he's 62. I mean, he's just, he's young and healthy in spirit and um, but in these recent years, he's, he's stopped using it as much. And kind of as a joke, you know, some months ago, I said, I, I really appreciate you storing my boat for free for me, you know? And if you ever want me to actually pay you for it, you know, let's, let's talk before you sell it to someone else. So, um, so I'm minding my own business about three weeks ago, and I'm out underneath my car changing the oil in my driveway, and I see this pair of feet walk up, you know? And so I pull myself out from under the car, and it's my neighbor. And, uh, and Howard says, hey, I'm going to sell my boat. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm selling it tomorrow. I'm putting it up on Marketplace tomorrow. So I just thought you'd want to know. And he turns around and walks away. <laughs> Mic drop, you know, <laughs> okay. So I go in and tell Jamie, okay, I have a decision to make and we have a decision to make. So, you know, we do our homework and I call um, my fishing sensei who I go out with a lot um, in Vinnie Sylvia. And, you know, we go salmon fishing quite a bit. And say, Is this a good boat? Can I be able to, you know, what do you think? And so, so I decided to buy this boat and the price was right. And so this is a picture of it. It is a 1963 sea swirl. It's older than I am. <laughs> now the hull will probably outlast me because it is a 1963. Thankfully the motor isn't that old, but it's just a, it's a cute little boat. And yeah, you can call it that. I won't be offended. And so I decided, hey, we have this boat. Jamie and I needed to go try it out. So Howard took me out the week before and, you know, showed me some things. Every boat has its idiosyncrasies. And I've been around boats my whole life, but I've never owned one. So all that being said, I have this long mental checklist of all these things I need to do to launch the boat. It's my first time launching it by myself. Jamie and I, you know, load up our two little dogs because it's going to be a family affair, you know, and we go. And uh, we go to North Fork Reservoir just outside of Estacada there, and there's no one there. I mean, it's just, and it's a beautiful day, and it's like, oh, this is going to be great. So I, you know, I back it up and get ready to launch it. I'm going through this mental checklist as I'm getting ready to do that, and I'm thinking about all these things. You know, do I have my mooring ropes, and, you know, did I put gas in the gas tank? Yeah, okay, it has gas, and, and, uh, and I'm looking at the back of the boat, and um, I'm thinking, okay, is the drain plug in? Because I've been told a number of times that, you have to have the drain plug in your boat or it becomes a U-boat real quick. And so I thought, okay. So I checked and sure enough, the, the drain plug was in. And I know you can't see this, but in the lower right-hand corner, there's kind of a black thing there and then, then a little thing with chain on it. Well, the thing with chain on it is this. It is the drain plug, but it wasn't there. It was in the hole above it. And so I quickly looked at it and said, yep, drain plug's in. And so I launched the boat, pull the trailer out, go park the truck. And I, you know, I'm going through this. My mind's really busy. Okay, do I have the life jackets? And okay, do I do this? And so Jamie's down on the dock. She's holding the mooring ropes. She has our dogs. And I walk up and we both look down at the boat at the same time. And there's now more water in the boat than in the reservoir. <laughs> it's like, you've got to be kidding me. And so I thought, they're, they're, the drain plugs in. How is this happening? So I go and I, I, I run back up there and I quickly get the truck back in and manage to save the boat, pull the boat out of the water, and I'd put the drain plug in the wrong hole. I had sincerely believed that I had the drain plug in the right hole. And so I pull the boat out and, um, and half the reservoir is draining out of it. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, now what do I do? Do we, do we try it anyway? And and see if it works or, and the, the funniest thing, so this guy's pulling his boat out on the other side of the dock and he pulls up and he's in this massive four-wheel drive and it's this huge boat and he rolls down the window and I can see his little son in his lap and he's pointing at me. <laughs> and in particular, he's pointing at my boat and his head's doing this. <laughs> and I can read his lips and he's saying, this is what you don't do. You know, don't ever do that to your boat. You know, okay, great. Yeah, that's me. So the good news is, you know, I drained all the water out and we took it out on the reservoir and it worked, it worked great. But, you know, the bottom line is, I thought I had the drain plug in the right hole. I was absolutely sincerely convinced that I had it right. And at the end of the day, what we believe matters, does it not? And even if you sincerely believe something, you can be sincerely 
wrong. And Jesus, in this very passage that we'll look at in the Gospel of John today, will make a number of astounding statements. But he'll say this one in particular, and many of you are familiar with this, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except, except through me. And in a culture where we're constantly told that you create your truth and what's true for you is true for you, well, what Jesus asserts here is this isn't about my truth or your truth. This is about him because he is the truth. And he will use these very words to comfort and call his disciples to believe in him. And what he says here is very necessary and very timely, not just for them, but for you and for me. Whatever's going on in your life this morning, you need to hear these words this morning, just, just like I do. And so we're going to go there. So I'm going to read this passage to you. This is John chapter 14, and then we're going to talk about what precipitated this. So Jesus says this to the disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be there with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. What an amazing passage with so many amazing promises and spiritual realities for you and me. And remember what preceded this. So here is Jesus with the disciples. And if you weren't with us last week, they're having the last supper together. It is the last dinner Jesus will have while he's on earth. And um, he tells them once again, as he has been throughout the gospel of John, one of you is gonna betray me. And remember the scene? They'll kind of look at each other and go, who, who, could it be me? Who's it going to be? John, the writer of this gospel, leans back against Jesus and asks him at Peter's urging, who is it? And remember, Jesus identifies Judas. He gives him the bread. And he's also not necessarily singling him out, but giving him a way out from what he's about to do. Judas refuses that. He leaves. So now they know one of them is going to betray them. Jesus also predicts that Peter, 
the leader of the disciples is gonna deny him not once, not twice, but three times. And oh, by the way, he's gonna leave and they can't follow. Of course they're upset. Of course they're troubled. And what does he say? Don't let your hearts be troubled. How can he say that? And, I, and I've wrestled with this. And, and I wonder if it's because he gets it. He can say that because he gets it. What did he say in the earlier chapter when he knew one of them was gonna betray him, when he knew his death was coming? I am troubled in spirit. Jesus can tell us not to be troubled in heart because he's been there. And sometimes we overlook the humanity of Jesus. But I know there are many of you with troubled hearts this morning. I've talked with some of you. And you have to remember, I have to remember that Jesus, Jesus gets it. He can tell us not to be troubled because he's had a troubled heart too. And yet he modeled to us trust in the Father. He did it and we can do it too. But that's not all there is to this. Look what he says. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place to you, for you? I mean, he reassures them that he's going ahead of them and eventually they will follow and they're gonna be with him forever in, in a house. And sometimes, you know, we, we talk about oh, mansions and, you know, whatever, but the reality here, the idea here is that there is a permanency to what Jesus is speaking to here. You know, there's a number of our brethren who aren't here because they're out celebrating, you know, Fourth of July weekend. Really glad you're here. But a number of them are out and a number of them are tent camping. You ever tent camped before? I've been in tents that have leaked, that have collapsed, air mattresses that have collapsed. I've set my tent up on a root and slept on it the whole night. I mean, it's just, you know, you have these things and, and yet it's fun for a while. <laughs> a couple nights, maybe a week. And there were a number of people in that culture who necessarily had to live in tents. Not everyone lived in cities. There was a lot of nomadic folks out there who lived in tents. And there was this idea, this, was rea this reality that if you had a room, you had a place of permanency. And that's exactly the idea that Jesus is talking about here. That he is preparing something for us. And the reality is that as difficult as things are now, and sometimes they can be profoundly painful and incredibly difficult, the promise here is that things are going to get better. And as good as things are, as wonderful as things can be here, the promise is things are going to get better. Do you believe that? Because that's what Jesus is reminding us of, is that we can trust him and we need to trust him. And by the way, when we say believe, when we say trust, belief in the Bible is always active. It is never passive, ever. When you see Jesus calling the disciples, calling us to believe in him, that is an action word and an action idea. And actually, in this passage, there are a number of ways that believing reveals itself, shows itself in our lives. So with that idea in mind, what does it mean for you to trust Jesus this morning? How is he asking you to trust him?
hard to trust someone you don't really know, isn't it? And yet Jesus in this passage says, you, you know me. He reminds them, you, you know me. And by knowing me, you'll know the Father. And again, this, this reality of knowing, this, this isn't just information. This is actually a word sourced in relationship. It's about this progressive, growing, intimate knowledge. In fact, it's used to describe marriage. You see, I know Jamie. We've been married for 31 years. She has been in my life for 37. I like to tease her at times and say, I love being married to my ex-girlfriend because that's what she originally was, was my girlfriend, and I married her, so she became my wife, ex-girlfriend. So, but all that being said, you know, later this, this weekend, we're gonna go up to Puget Sound and we're gonna be at Hartstein Island, which is um, a place where Jamie's mom and dad many, many years ago took a drive in out that direction. I don't know how they got three hours away from Portland and out on this island in Puget Sound, but they did. And they bought this lot and her dad built this summer cabin. And when I was dating Jamie in high school, you know, we spent time there and when we got married and with little kids spent time there, but they eventually had to sell it for a variety of reasons. It's passed through owners a couple times and a new owner has bought it and has turned it into an Airbnb. And so my, my, um, brother-in-law, Jamie's brother, saw that and immediately jumped on it, so we're going to go for a couple days and, and be in the very cabin that her dad built some 50 years ago, and it's, it's going to be rich, and we have all these memories, and so we're taking this, this guest book that, that had been there for all the other folks that they had opened it up to and made it available to, and I was looking through this guest book, and here's, you know, some things I wrote when I was on a trip with Jamie as a high school student, you know? So I'm going back looking at all this stuff and I'm thinking about just the arc of my relationship with Jamie and how I, I know her so deeply now after 37 years of being together and 31 years as my wife. And that's the way it should be. I have this, this deep connection to her and I have this deep trust in her because I know her. And Jesus is appealing to that same reality with Philip when he says, Philip, don't you know me? You, you've seen the Father because you've, you've seen me. And sometimes we need to remember that as well. That, that being a Jesus follower isn't just about what you know, it's ultimately about who you know. And this begs the question, do you really know him? You may know about him, but do you know him? Is he your God? Have you received him into your life as your Lord and Savior? And if you have, then progressively you're gonna get to know him more and more. And the more you know him, the more you can trust him. But sometimes it feels like you can't. Sometimes circumstances don't feel like you can trust him at all. And in a culture that constantly defaults to telling us that you, you embrace your feelings and your feelings define you and live by your feelings, man, sometimes trusting and knowing Jesus isn't about trusting your feelings but by living by what you know. And some of you need to remember that. I certainly need to remember that that I don't always live by what I feel. I live ultimately by what I know. I remember the past so I can live in the present and have hope 
for the future. And by the way, since we're talking about hope and this is such a hope-filled passage, understand as well that hope, reasonably, biblical hope, could be defined as um, the confident expectation of good based on the character of God. And so if that's true, when we talk about hope and live out hope in Jesus, it doesn't have conditions on it. You know, so many times, if you think about it, when we talk about hope, we talk about it as a what if, or as an as if. But biblical hope is never an if. It is always a certainty. It's always with this attitude of, oh, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. This is gonna happen. It's not a could it happen, or maybe it'll happen. It's a this is gonna happen. It's just a matter of, of time. Do you have that kind of hope? When you read these words, when you hear these words that Jesus has gone ahead to prepare a place for us that's going to be wonderful and permanent, do you actually believe that? Or do you live your life as if this is all there is? Like our empty culture does, because they don't have the hope and the certainty that we do. A couple weeks ago, I guess last weekend, um, I had a memorial service for my, my aunt. And um, it was such a privilege to get to be a part of that service. And she knew that her end was coming. And so she planned out her service. And I can tell you as a pastor, I, I, I love that. When, when, when circumstances, whatever, play out so that someone can have some input into how they want to be remembered, how they want their life celebrated. I just, I love that. And that's what she had done. And she said, I want this service to be a celebration and I want it to be focused on the hope of Jesus and the certainty of what he promises us. And she wanted this passage, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, where Paul, ironically, is talking about this tent of a body that we have. But someday, that we're gonna have a permanent building, a permanent place to go to, to be with him forever. And there was this certainty, this assurance that she absolutely had. It was all over the memorial folder. It was all over her service. And I thought, when I grow up someday, I want to be like that. Because she knew where she was going. And she knew who she was going to. And she wasn't afraid to die. Because she had that certainty. And intrinsic in this passage is if we know him, then he expects us to follow him. The word follow doesn't appear in these verses, but it is all over the place here. I mean, again, let's enter into the story. Here are the disciples. They are told one of them is going to betray Jesus. Jesus all along has been saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to go. And where I'm going, you can't follow. And he qualifies that and then tells them here, you're going to follow eventually, but... There's all this confusion and fear and uncertainty and difficulty and heartache. I'm sure it must have seemed like a bad dream that they just kind of pushed out of their mind. You ever had that? Where you've had something that you just, I don't even want to think about that. I don't even want to consider that. I want nothing to do with that. I'm sure that's what was going on with them. And you know, frankly, at the end of the day, it's easy to follow Jesus when things are easy. It's hard to follow Jesus when they're not, when they're confusing, when things are difficult, when things are painful. Do you and I follow Jesus then? 
And by the way, why are we surprised when those things happen? Why am I somewhat offended when those things invade my life? I mean, later on in this gospel, what does Jesus say? In John 16, in this world, your spouse will always understand you. In this world, your boat will never sink. In this world, your children every day will rise up and call you blessed. In this world, your grandkids will always do what you ask them to do. In this world, your job will always fulfill you, be exactly what you need. And in this world, you'll always have a full bank account. In this world, your car will always start, okay. A lot of first world problems there, but we'll put that aside. Where do we get this idea that following Jesus is going to be easy? I mean, I like it when it is, but it's not always like that. And to continue the verse, in this world, you will have trouble. Aren't you glad you came to church to hear that? But stay tuned for the second part. But I have overcome the world. And this isn't to make light of these things. It's to validate that, yeah, sometimes things are really difficult and sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus. And Jesus, at the end of the day, isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers, people who will trust and obey him. And in this next chapter, to give you a preface of where we're going next weekend, not once, not twice, but three times, he will say, if you love me, you will obey what I command. You see, at the end of the day, you and I can trust and obey him even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. And if we do so, we are gonna see some amazing things. Did you see what he said here? I love this passage. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater works than these. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Really? I mean, how often, in fairness, do we come to passages like that and we just kind of read past them? All oh, that, that's nice. Or, or we dilute them. Like, well, yeah, maybe, okay, but did he really mean that? Probably not, probably not fully. Or we just dismiss them outright. Well, those are for someone else. Does, does he really mean that? I mean, you ever been to one of those motivational seminars where, you know, someone gets up and says, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And if you believe this and do that, then this is going to happen to you and I'll see you at the top. And they drop the mic and they walk off and everyone goes, yeah, and then nothing changes, right? This kind of feels like that. But can we take this for a test drive for a minute? So say we take Jesus at his word. What is he talking about here? And I, I did a little research in this and where he says greater things, greater works, it means things and works, okay. Primarily miracles, but other things beyond that. So quantitatively more works, are we gonna be able to do more than, than Jesus did? Well, his last recorded words, which we looked at a number of weeks ago on Vision Sunday, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We looked at the reality that that was a mandate, that was a mission, that was a focus that was far more expansive and far more significant than what the disciples could do. That was about a movement that was gonna take shape and take root. And so, in fairness, quantitatively, there are more disciples now, about two billion currently on the earth. 
So there's definitely more of us. So if he said we were going to do greater things, then yeah, there's just, there's more of us to do the work, right? And you ever read the book of Acts? I just did so recently just for fun. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and delivers, you know, this, it's an okay sermon. Yeah, we can agree on that. It's, it's pretty good. After Jesus' ascension to, to heaven. And how many people received the Lord that day? It tells us. 3,000. Not a bad sermon. We can work with that. 3,000 people. Where in the Gospels do we see that happening? Oh, we see Jesus drawing crowds and we're, we're told people believe, but we're not, it's not quantified. But presumably, this hasn't happened before. And if you read on to Acts chapter 5, verse 14, it says more and more and more people began to believe. And within history tells us a few hundred years, what was the dominant worldview of the Roman Empire? Christianity. Yes. Greater things. Qualitatively greater miracles. All right, now this one's got to make me a sale here. I mean, turning water into wine, healing sick people, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead. Pretty hard to top that, right? You ever read the book of Acts? What happened after Jesus' ascension? In Acts chapter 5, it says that people were hoping Peter's shadow would fall on them so that they could be healed. In Acts chapter 19, we're told definitively that the apostle Paul took a handkerchief and would give it to people to take to sick, sick folks, sick loved ones, and they would become healed because they touched his handkerchief. In Acts chapter 13, Elimus, the sorcerer, and that's what his name means, the sorcerer, is he's constantly trying to oppose Paul, and there's this Roman proconsul, this Roman high official, who's right on the cusp of believing, and Elimus continues to try to refute and argue with and, and keep him from, from coming to know the Lord. And so what does Paul do? He blinds him. That would be a fun gift to have. In fact, Gary Brashears has prayed for that gift. He's told me, and God thankfully hasn't given it to him. We don't trust you with that, evidently, Gary. But, okay, that's pretty cool. And then, again, another amazing story. So here's Paul preaching, and he goes on and on and on. He doesn't have a timer in the back like I do. And so, you know, he's, he's being told, hey, you know, keep going. And so he keeps going, and this guy falls asleep and then falls out the window of the second floor. His name's Eutychus, and he breaks his neck and dies on the spot. And Paul goes down and he heals him. Now, where did that happen in the Gospels? Jesus knew not to preach a long time, I guess, and then you never put people to sleep. I don't know. But we see these things happening in Acts that are pretty amazing and that we don't necessarily see in the New Testament. Could he mean exponentially deeper change of hearts? Man, in Acts chapter 4, the disciples ask for boldness in proclaiming who Jesus is, and there's an earthquake that happens. That didn't happen in the Gospels. In Acts chapter 5, this community of Jesus followers is so bold, so generous, so loving, so sacrificial, it tells us that there was not a needy person among them because they shared everything. An entire community with no needy people because they're so generous? Where do we see that? And in Acts chapter 6, we're told a great number of priests begin to choose 
to trust in Jesus. Now, there were religious leaders like Nicodemus who chose to follow Jesus, and it says here and there there were some of the religious leaders who believed in Jesus, but a great number? So, greater things? Greater, did Jesus really mean that? And I think the answer is yes. Now, I do. Now, I think there's a couple layers to this. I think one is, is it's kind of a trick question. It's the same God doing the same work. But the reality here, what Jesus is saying is there is gonna be a greater presence through the Holy Spirit, a greater presence of God. And we'll get headlong into that next weekend. But it never was our work. It's always been about God's work. In John chapter five, Jesus said, the Father's always working and, and so am I. In this very passage we just read, he talked about the Father is doing his work. The whole reality of this means the absence of Christ meant the presence of the Holy Spirit, meant the presence of Christ in a new way. His ascension put into motion the descension of the Holy Spirit. You know, Bob Maddox used to always ask this question and when we'd be talking about this stuff and he'd say, you know, would you rather have an hour with Jesus or a lifetime of the Holy Spirit? You know, and it always made me think, you know what, at first I'd say, oh, give me the hour with Jesus, but wait a minute, same God. Give me a lifetime of the Holy Spirit, the constant presence of God. You know, Francis Chan has written a book called Forgotten God because so many times we forget about the reality of the Holy Spirit, that if you've received Jesus into your life, if you know him, he's always with you. And man, the things he can do. And again, what Jesus says here at the end of the passage about praying, that believing him is about praying because we have full access and complete access to the Holy Spirit. We can ask for anything. Now, in fairness, yes, we all get, it has to be in accordance with God's will and his ways and bring him glory, but, but do you and I live like people who can pray that way? Ask for anything in my name and it will be given to you? When's the last time you asked Jesus for something big? When's the last time you dared to hope that he could exceed your expectations? You know, one of my prayers Almost, without exception, every Sunday we gather for corporate worship as I pray, would you surprise me this morning, Jesus, in my life and in what you're gonna do here? And I, I come expecting Jesus to mess with you in a good way and Jesus to mess with me in a good way. So let's keep running with this for a minute. Where do you need God to work this morning? Have you asked him and, and actually believed that he could do that? Where do you need hope? Where do you need a deep change of heart? You know, it seems like in our brokenness that we can default back to, we default to one of two extremes when it comes to this in the, the, the letter of James talks about this a little bit. He says, you do not ask, you do not have rather, because you don't ask God. Or when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get 
on your pleasures. And I think we can default to that when it comes to praying and believing and expecting God to do amazing things. But my friends, you and I need to repent this morning of believing that the promises of God are for someone else. Stop thinking that way. Stop living that way. Take Jesus at his word. You know, one of my mentors, my, my previous um, lead pastor at my last church, he used to say, great prayers will always, always have the potential for great answers. And, and I ran across this story of an amazing example of prayer and belief. This is out of a, a book called Pray Like Monks and Live Like Fools. Don't you love that title? Just the title makes you go, I need to read that book. It's by Tyler Staten. He's the new lead pastor of Bridgetown here in Portland. But this is a true story. Monica was a single mom with one child, a son. She was a devout believer who sang hymns over her child in infancy and prayed nightly with her hand on his forehead. The boy grew up to see the world quite differently from his mother, though. As an adolescent, he became known in their North African town as a womanizer and would often be seen publicly drunk at untold hours of the night. He had an extraordinary intellect, and he grew into a philosopher, channeling all his energy into combating his mother's Christian faith. But Monica didn't give up. She continued to pray nightly for her son's salvation, just as she had done with her hand on his tiny forehead when she was a young mother. And when he was 19, she had a dream through which she believed that God was promising to answer her prayers for her son. So in response to her dream, she became more and more intense in her prayers. A year passed, and then another year, and then another, and there was no change. No moment of hope, no change of heart or openness to believe. Nine years after that dream, he, the son, made plans to travel to Rome, known for its revelry and debauchery. So Monica stayed awake all night in intense prayer that God would prevent his travels. Little did she know that her son, without telling her, had changed his plans and had sailed for Rome that very night as she was already praying. So on that trip, sitting alone one afternoon in a Roman garden, Monica's son heard the audible voice of God speak to him. Bewildered, he opened up the very scriptures he had dedicated himself to despising and disproving. And right then and there, he surrendered his life to Jesus. Monica's son's name was Augustine. And he went on to be widely considered the greatest theologian in history and a father to the early Christian church. Prayer releases power. I hope you believe that. And I want you to experience that. So our worship team is going to come forward. And as they do so, we are going to remember communion together. We're going to take communion together. So I'll invite our communion servers to come forward as well. Communion reminds us of all these realities that we've talked about here this morning of a God who loves us so much he won't share us with sin and brokenness but instead offers to rescue us from that through his death, burial, and resurrection and then receiving him into our lives. And so when we take communion, we remind ourselves of what he's done for each one of us. But in the seat back in front of you, you're gonna see one of these. I encourage you to reach out and grab it. There should be a pen nearby as well. 
this has the points of what we've talked about here this morning. And as we prepare to come forward and receive these elements, how has the Lord been speaking to you this morning? What does it look like for you to apply what we've talked about here this morning? How's he asking you to trust him? How's he asking you to know him, to follow him, to be about his work, even praying, talking with him? Our encouragement to you is we're gonna give you some space here to, to think about this and respond to it. And if you don't want to, that's okay. But if you want to, write out what it is that you would, you would like him to do, what you need him to do, what you're choosing to trust him for. And as a response, as you come forward to receive the elements, you can bring this forward. We have baskets here on the table. If not, you can just put them on the table there. And the commitment I'll make to you is I personally will pray for anything you write down here this week. And so will our team. And you can sign your name or leave a confidential or not do it. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you respond to the Lord. So let's take some time. You can go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes if it will help you to concentrate or just think about, meditate about these things and what is it that the Lord's speaking to you about this morning? Maybe write that out and then we'll invite you to come forward and receive the elements. You'll take them back to your chairs and hold on to them because then we'll take communion together. So let's, let's have a time of worship together. Hallelujah. He is good. Even when life isn't, he is, he is good. Because Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So as we go from here, would we proclaim that and live that out? We have prayer teams off to the sides. If there's anything we can pray for you about, we would love to do that. But let me pray his blessing over you. Lord, thank you for each person who is here, for those who have watched and listened online. Lord, thank you that you are good, even when life isn't. And God, thank you that you are here with us through the power of your Holy Spirit. So because you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, would you give us opportunity to love someone in your name this week, to serve someone even today? to tell someone about the great God that you are. We love you. We thank you for this rich time to seek you and experience you together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said one more time, amen. amen. So go and live for him. We'll see you next week. Happy 4th of July weekend. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.